0: Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at @Riverside. This morning we're going to be continuing our series called Passion, where we've been focusing in on the events leading up to Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. So far, we've looked at Jesus' arrival into Jerusalem. And last week, Keeley looked at the moment where Jesus was anointed uh, with oil in Bethany. And today, we are on the Thursday, the Thursday on the Easter story. The final few hours of Jesus's freedom before he would be arrested and subsequently crucified. When I was at Bible college, uh, one of the modules that we did was in communication and preaching. So there's a room full of theology students, some who planned to go into church ministry, some who planned on writing books some who planned on being teachers, some just interested in theology. And we were all in a room, about 80 of us, doing uh, preaching as a module. And with such a mix of experience and such a mix of personalities in the room, the lecturer didn't make us straight away stand up and uh, do a preach in front of everyone. But instead he wanted to get us doing some storytelling. So he got each person um, in the room and he asked them a very simple question. We had 15 minutes to plan our answer to this question and then we were going to speak this story out, the answer out in front of everyone else. 15 minutes to prepare it and then five minutes to tell it. And the question was this. If you had 24 hours to live, what would you do? If you had 24 hours left to live, what would you do? And as each person stood up and told their story, their answer to this question, their perfect 24 hours, you got a glimpse into who they were, their personality, the things that are important to them, their likes and their dislikes, what they wanted to be remembered for, what they stood for and believed in. In the answers to this question what would you do if you had 24 hours to live? You could see what is it that really matters to this person. And in reality, it's very rare for anyone to be able to plan their final hours. But today, we are going to be looking at someone who really did plan His final hours. We're going to be focusing in on this Thursday evening. The night before, the morning after. The couple of hours leading up to Jesus' arrest. And we're going to be skipping across different Gospels this morning as we delve into this story. Trying to get a picture of what was happening In the final few hours of Jesus's freedom and asking the question, what was important to Jesus? What was important to Jesus that he would plan for it to take place in his final few hours of freedom? How did Jesus choose to spend his final hours of freedom on the earth? For those of you who know your Easter stories well, straight away you might be thinking, well, that means this morning we're going to be looking at the Last Supper and the Garden of Gethsemane. And you would be right. (laughs) And often when we talk about the Thursday, we talk about the Thursday, the day before the Friday, we skip straight to the meal. We skip straight to the Last Supper. And what we do in doing that is we ignore the preparations that took place, the preparations that took place for this meal to happen. Every event that happens in the final few hours of Jesus's life before he's arrested was very intentional. Jesus had planned exactly what he wanted this to look like. Jesus had planned exactly how he wanted these final hours to play out. In Mark 14, we read this. Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples, telling them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, the teacher asks, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared for the Passover. This is not a miraculous, uh, coincidental meeting that we see. There isn't, what seems to happen here is Jesus is sending these two disciples to go to a location and to see a person that he had already planned to be there in that moment. This is a carefully planned part of the story. And it's interesting that Jesus sends two disciples to go and do this, but neither of those disciples were one of the twelve. Neither of these disciples were in Jesus' inner group of disciples. And you notice that as you continue on with the passage, because it says that Jesus and the twelve then went on. So Jesus had entrusted these two disciples that weren't in his inner 12 to go and say the secret code and to be shown the secret location in order to prepare for their meal. And seemingly the reason for that is Jesus chose these two disciples that weren't in the 12 because Jesus did not want Judas to be aware of the location. He was protecting his plan. Jesus was protecting what he wanted these final hours to look like. What we get from this is that in these final few hours, everything about this meal was protected. Everything about this meal was planned, and everything about this meal was intentional. So when we know that these things are the case, when we know that Jesus had protected these things and that it was a very planned, intentional occasion, then it makes it even more important for us to see what Jesus did, what happened during that meal, because it was clearly extremely important to Jesus. So let's skip forward to the meal and look at exactly what it was that Jesus was protecting. When, when we read in our uh, Bibles about the Last Supper, in the Gospels, the Gospel of Mark has just eight verses about the Last Supper. Matthew gives nine verses to the Last Supper. Luke adds a few more with 21 verses. But the Gospel of John has 155 verses, five chapters, chapters 13 to 17, all focusing on the events that took place during this meal. Five chapters all about the conversations going on during this meal. And this is, John doesn't even mention bread and wine. So there was so much to talk about within these, uh, within this meal. In fact, John actually focuses mainly, in the Gospel of John, it focuses mainly on this long speech that Jesus gives about the future. A lot of theology, I mean, in fact, chapters 14 to 17, it's 94% Jesus speaking and 6% questions being asked by the disciples. So John really goes into detail about the conversations going on, taking place during the last Supper, And if I'm totally honest with you, if you read the four different accounts in the Gospels of the Last Supper, you'd notice that John's account is very different from the others. John focuses and emphasises on very different aspects of what is happening during this Last Supper. And I don't really want to this morning get too drawn into all the theology that John focuses on in chapters 14 to 17 but instead i want to look at the bulk of what did jesus want to take place during this meal so we're going to look at kind of what the uh, four gospels seem to focus on as a whole what they agree with in their writings in their recollections of this meal So if we exclude the teaching material from John, we're left with this following rough outline of what the meal looks like. Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Jesus predicts his betrayal and Judas then leaves. They share bread and wine. And Jesus talks to his disciples about the future. And I think it's really important as we, uh, as we look at this to realise that Jesus had planned this structure of the evening for a reason. He knew exactly what he wanted this meal to look like. He knew what he wanted to leave the disciples thinking. He knew what the lasting impression of him, what he wanted it to be. If he'd gone so far as to plan and protect the preparation, it's a fair assumption that he had a plan for what was going to happen within the meal. Jesus chose his final hours to look exactly like this. Jesus chose his final hours to look exactly like this. So let's have a look a little bit deeper as to why Jesus may have chosen these things and why he saw it as so important. I want to start by focusing on one of the most radical things that happens in the whole of the Gospels. And it's only radical when we truly understand what's going on. And that is Jesus washing the feet Of the disciples. Jesus washes the disciples' feet. It says this in John 13, verses 2 to 5. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. If you read Matthew's version of the events, you'll notice that there's an argument just beforehand, just before Jesus washes the disciples' feet, There's an argument at the dinner table. And the argument is, who is the greatest? Who is the greatest? And there's a little line that Jesus says. Jesus says this, whoever wishes to be the first among you must be your slave. Which is exactly what Jesus then demonstrates here, because properly understood, the foot washing is one of the most radical things that Jesus ever did. Let me explain why. In in Judea, as Simon explained a couple of weeks ago, the ground was filthy. Walking through the streets was a matter of negotiating between dirt and dust, excrement and waste, ashes and fire, rotten food. So washing your feet, first and foremost, was a matter of hygiene. But it was also a piece of purity legislation for Jews, There was this purity legislation that anyone who entered the temple must wash their feet and hands an absolute minimum. It was so dirty around the streets that you must wash your feet and your hands before entering the temple. But it was also the case that no free man, no one who was not a slave, would ever wash the feet of someone else this task was simply reserved for slaves and it actually goes further than slaves because if you were uh, a, because of the laws of the torah if you were a jewish slave you could not be made to wash anyone anyone else's feet because Levitical law said that if you wash someone's feet you became impure So Jewish slaves were almost like, they didn't have to pay as much for Jewish slaves because you couldn't make them do as many things. They were not allowed to wash your feet. Gentile slaves, however, could be asked to do anything because they were already impure. And this is why Peter reacts to Jesus when Jesus starts washing the feet of the disciples in the original greek there's a splutter almost where peter goes master you my he doesn't know what to say he can't get the words out he's so disgusted at what is happening right now and and it's not that he doesn't understand what's going on it's not that he doesn't understand what what is happening right now instead he fully understands what is going on in this moment and it's the understanding that troubles him. It's understanding that Jesus is becoming a Gentile slave that troubles him. Jesus is doing something that seemingly makes you impure. That troubles him. Jesus is stooping so low in this moment so low that even slaves would not do this act, that Peter sees this and feels deeply troubled. Jesus has descended to the lowest level possible for a human being, which is the rank of the Gentile slaves. That was how it was seen in that time. And that is what's truly shocking about this moment. Not just that he is serving the disciples, but that he is taking on the role of the lowest possible human. It's not just that Jesus is prepared to undress to clean the feet of his followers and to clean the dirt and the dust that gathered from their walk. But it's that he assumes this role. He assumes the role Of a Gentile slave. But as I said before, everything we must assume in this meal was totally intentional and planned. So Jesus knows exactly what he is doing, he is leaving them with this radical picture when he was taking the role of this Gentile slave and doing the lowest possible job available, he is showing this upside-down nature of the kingdom, what the kingdom was to be like, this upside-down nature of the kingdom. A Jesus, a king who serves, who assumes the role of the lowest. It takes you back to what He says in Matthew, where he says, whoever wishes to be the first among you must be a slave. Jesus, in his final hours, in his final hours on earth, before he was to be arrested, chose to take up the job of a servant. He chose to become the lowest possible rank. The next key event that happens uh, during the Last Supper is they share bread and wine. And the earliest uh, account of this doesn't come from the Gospels, but from Paul in the New Testament to the church in Corinth. He says this. For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Now, something we need to realise about the last, uh, about the sharing of bread and wine, is that what's happening in this moment? There's absolutely nothing exotic or fancy going on. It's simply the most basic elements of Mediterranean food being shared by Jesus amongst the disciples. And it's delivered in the most basic way possible. In the past, some scholars have said that the breaking of the bread was a picture, symbolic picture of the violent death that Jesus was going to endure on the cross. But the breaking of bread wasn't an unusual thing to happen. In fact, almost every meal started with breaking bread. It was a very ordinary start to a meal. So attempts to make uh, communion, as we call it, exotic, misses the point completely. The point was in the ordinariness. There was no special object. There was no holy grail to hold the wine. It was just a cup. It was just bread and wine. The everyday elements of Palestinian eating and drinking. And in reality, this, this very ordinariness uh, fits with one of the most distinctive aspects of who Jesus is. Jesus invited all to come and join him uh, throughout his ministry. And what's so important about the ordinariness of this meal is that it didn't exclude anyone who couldn't afford the more exotic foods or drinks. It was an inclusive, a very inclusive meal. It said everyone can come and join in this meal. It's simply bread and wine and a cup. But it also... One of the distinctive aspects of Jesus' ministry that is shown in this is his love for shared meals. I feel like I talk about meals almost every other time that I speak. But Jesus loved to have meals with people. Meals which not only satisfied their physical needs and their hunger and their thirst, but also their spiritual hunger and thirst. The outsiders and the marginalised and the impure were welcomed around the table with Jesus. This meal is to be shared with others. It's to be passed on, enjoyed and celebrated from day to day, week to week, generation to generation. And yes, there is also a prophetic nature to this moment. Often when we reenact the moment in our times of communion, we can forget that when Jesus is saying these things, the disciples had no clue what was going on. They were completely lost at Jesus' words. They weren't thinking, oh, as you say that, you're talking about the symbolism of what's going to happen tomorrow. They had no idea what Jesus was saying. They were kind of thinking Jesus is on it again with one of his metaphors that no one can quite understand. This hadn't happened yet. They just went along with it. See, another one of Jesus' passions is storytelling. And again, in the final moment of his time with his disciples, in his final moment on earth, Jesus chose to tell this prophetic story of what was about to happen. And even though this very, uh, even though there's very strong evidence in the book of John that this event didn't happen on Passover itself, but instead probably happened on the day before Passover, Jesus was writing his own version of Passover in this meal. And the point of Passover was to remember the story of Israel's rescue. In the Jewish tradition, the Passover meal tells the tale through the elements and um, celebrates the rescue of the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. The bread in this Jewish Passover symbolises the haste at which they had to leave. And the sacrificial lamb, which was the other element, was a reminder of the lamb that was slaughtered and its blood smeared on the door. uh, on the doorposts for protection in Exodus. But Jesus rewrites this story in a clever way. A way in which tells the tale of his sacrifice that was to come. Jesus tells the story of what was to come and they won't even recognise it until after he is gone. The prophetic nature of this moment is what, keeps it uh, mysterious. But still, Jesus leaves them with this memory that in a few days' time, they might make that link. That in a few days' time, they may recognise what was happening. He tells them a story that might give them that future memory. In his final few hours... Jesus was focusing on community and relationship. Sharing in a meal and telling them of the story of what was to come. And he did it alongside friends. In his final hours, Jesus chose community. And finally, at this meal, Jesus prepares his disciples In John, as I said, there are four whole chapters committed to this, to Jesus preparing the disciples. He refuses to leave the disciples without this final bit of encouragement and without preparing them for what was to come. Within this encouragement, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit to help them as they continue in the work that Jesus had started. Jesus refuses to leave them without equipping them. Instead, he continues to shape them into people who follow God in the midst of adversity because Jesus knew what was coming for them. Not only does he warn them for what was to come, but he gave them everything they needed in order to live through it. So Jesus, in his final hours, chose to have a meal with disciples where he would leave them with three lasting impressions. A Jesus who served, a Jesus who shared, and a Jesus who shaped. And on that note, with this memory in their minds, Jesus takes them to the garden named Gethsemane a place just on the outskirts of Jerusalem, far enough that they would be away from the crowds. In fact, they could have gone just a little bit further and they would have fled Jerusalem if Jesus wanted to, but instead he stopped. And he spent his final moments solidifying those lasting impressions. In Gethsemane, Jesus served God. He said, not my will, but yours, as he spent time with his father. In Gethsemane, Jesus shared. One of my favorite aspects of what happens in Gethsemane, as I said a few weeks ago, is that Jesus brought Peter, John and James with him to share in his moment of grief. He shared his emotions and his grief with them. And in Gethsemane, Jesus shaped. Even in the final moment as Jesus was arrested, he continued to teach his disciples. Peter gets out a sword and chops off the ear of a servant of the high priest that was coming to arrest him. And Jesus says, put your sword back in its place for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. In Gethsemane, Jesus solidified these three lasting impressions of him that took place in the meal. He solidified that Jesus served, that he shared, and that he shaped. Jesus had an opportunity to plan his final few hours of freedom, and he did. Every detail was planned. Every detail was protected. For Jesus, it had to be intentional. And Jesus chose his final hours to look like this. Jesus chose to serve people and serve God. Jesus chose to share a meal, a story, and even his feelings and his grief. And Jesus chose to shape and prepare his disciples so that they would be able to go on and continue in the work that Jesus had started. What you might notice from this is that Jesus' focus in his last few hours was all about others. He did not seek his own Jesus could have gone around the table uh, at at the Last Supper and said, Right, let's go round, and all of you say the favourite miracle that you have seen me do. (laughs) Jesus could have claimed his glory in this moment, in his final meal. Instead, Jesus served, shared, and shaped. What does it look like for us to reflect that as a follower of Jesus? What does it look like to be so other-focused that our final few hours would be spent serving others, sharing with others, and helping to shape others? If you had 24 hours to live, what would you do? If you had 24 hours to live, what impact would you want to leave? Lord, would you turn our attention outwards? True pray. If the worship band could come up, that would be great. Lord, thank you that you are. A God that loves. Lord, that you are a God who loves. A God so other-focused that you care so much about us that you wouldn't even call in your glory in that moment. You wouldn't even take a moment of praise, but instead you would become a slave. You'd become a servant. Lord, thank you that you are... A God who serves, who shares, and who shapes. Lord, will you help us to reflect that in our lives? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening.